0: Well, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 2.11, we are not ignorant of Satan's schemes. As you look at the course of human history, Satan has used many of the same ways to attack God's people or God's work. And as we've been going through this book called Nehemiah, we've seen many of these attacks, these weapons that he uses like ridicule, discouragement, and fear. And as we turn today to Nehemiah chapter 6, we're going to see some of these same strategies are used again. As, uh, as the work on the wall is being attacked one final time trying to stop it. And as we're looking at this, we're going to see what Nehemiah does uh, to counter these attacks and to finish the work on the walls. So I invite you to look with me now at Nehemiah chapter 6, where I want us to begin reading in verses 1 through 2. It says, Now it came about when it was reported to Sanballat, Tobiah and to Geshem the Arab, and to the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall. And that no breach remained in it, although at that time I had not yet set up the doors in the gates. That Sanballat and Geshem sent a message to me, saying, Come, let us meet together at Shepharim in the plain of Ono. But they were planning to harm me. So here what we see is the work on the walls is complete. Everything has been done. All that's left to finish is fortifying the gates of the city. And once this is done, it's going to be difficult for an enemy to be able to come in and attack the city. And so what they do is they make one last push to try to get Nehemiah away, to try to stop the final bit of the work on the walls that is to be done. And to do this, they want him out of the city, so they say, hey, you know, Nehemiah, we've had some problems in the past, but we think we should get together, we should bury the hatchet, we should talk about it. And what Nehemiah knows is what they want to do is bury the hatchet in his back because he says they were planning to harm me. They've asked him to come to the city of Shepharim in the plain of Ono. This was about 25 miles outside of Jerusalem. It was near the border of Samaria. You'll recall that Samaria was where Sanballat lived. And so this would have put Nehemiah right on the border where it would have been easy to ambush him. And not only would it take Nehemiah to a place of danger, but it would have taken Nehemiah away from his work on the walls. Uh, This is something that is no benefit to the project because back in Nehemiah 2.20, he told these guys, you have no portion, right, or memorial in Jerusalem. You'll recall they were either unbelievers or those who were opposed to the God of Israel and the work that he had called his people to do. And so Nehemiah says, I'm not going to meet with you. As a pastor, I'm I'm invited to a lot of meetings in the community. I'm invited to a lot of various uh, strategy sessions on ways we can impact our city. Just last week, I was with 45 other pastors here in our city, and we spent the day together talking about ways to strategically reach into the community, ways we can spread the gospel here in our city. Now, there are other meetings I'm also invited to that I decline. Those are meetings that typically have an interfaith agenda. And what they want is for us to all stand together and publicly proclaim that we worship the same God and to say we're unified, and that you know these differences about who our God is are not important. Now I'm all for building bridges, but what the Bible tells us in Second Corinthians 6:14 and 15 is, do not be bound together with unbelievers, for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness. Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? So whenever I am given one of these requests, I'm always very respectful. I always make clear to the person that I appreciate uh, what they're calling us to. And I look in and say, but you're asking me to come as the pastor of Wayside Chapel. You're asking me to come as a minister of the gospel. And I say, we don't share the same God and we don't share the same gospel. The Bible is very clear. Uh, Jesus Christ said in a very exclusive way, people will say in John fourteen six, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. In John three 16, we're told, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. When you read only begotten, it's the Greek word monogenes. It means the unique, one-of-a-kind God-man. What I say is there is only one way to heaven, and that is through God's Son, Jesus. And if we're not going to be partnering and promoting that, then I, as the pastor of Wayside Chapel, don't have anything to offer into this meeting. It's, it, you know the, the world says that we should set these things aside, but we're talking about the work of God here. So as I said, I'm all for building bridges, but we have to do as Nehemiah did and say we're not partners in working for God if they're teaching a different gospel. Now verse 3 tells us, So I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave and come down to you? And what this verse shows us is one of the ways we can say no to things. Many of you are faced with decisions every day where what do you say yes to? Or what do you say no to? I've already told you how I as a pastor will decide what meetings do I say yes or no to. And so what Nehemiah is doing here, you can underline this and say this is something that will help us uh, in terms of your own commitments and priorities. He said this doesn't belong on my calendar because what it's going to take me away from is the work that I've been called to do, this work for God. One of the things we've talked about in the past that I want to remind you of is whenever we say yes to something... You're also saying no to something else. And the reason for that is when you say yes to something and you put a meeting down on your schedule, uh, what that means is nothing else can have that, that time. You, you can't double book an area on your calendar. It's the same thing in terms of your commitment of resources, whether it's your time or your money or your energy. When you've spent it in one place, you can't spend it in another. And so as you look at your life What we're talking about today is something that can help you where you can create a grid and you can say this is something that is good and there's something better and there's something best. And sometimes you have to say no to good things to leave room for the better and the best. You know, many of us uh, can picture ourselves as standing at a buffet. I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but you're, you're going through this buffet with all this wonderful food, and you've got your plate, and you're kind of, oh, I want that, and I want that, and you're piling it up, and as you get further down the line, you suddenly realize, well, that's better than what I've got on my plate, and, and you're like, well, what, I don't have any more room, and some of you are saying, oh, yeah, I do. I can always, you know, stack it a little higher, and, and some of us have moved from having a plate to a platter, Right? And, and that platter is even overflowing, you know, as families. One of the things that happens is your your kids can commit the calendar. I tell my kids that they they have to say no to certain things, or when they want to say yes to a new opportunity, I say, what already in your schedule is coming off? Because uh, their activities commit the family calendar as well. And so these are things that, as we're looking at this, I want you to look at your life this morning and, and say, are you stretched to the limit by all the activities and obligations that you have. You know, it's easy to get caught up in in the rat race or racing around all the activities. Now, sometimes the problem is the pressure comes in what we do for God. And and when that happens, you may be thinking, well, how do I say no to some opportunity to serve God? How do I say no uh, to something I've been asked to do? Well, again, you have to look at good, better, and best. There are opportunities I've been given to uh, speak at a conference or to be on the radio or to be and even write a book. And sometimes I'll look at that and I'll say, you know, there are good and great opportunities here to advance the gospel. But then I have to remind myself of the great work that God has called me to as pastor of Wayside Chapel. And the first fruits of my time and energy need to go to this body this ministry. And so sometimes you have a good opportunity that you have to say no to because what is it that God has called you to? I mentioned a moment ago a family calendar. As parents, your primary flock is your family. If I'm neglecting my own family for the ministry, then I'm failing. I'm failing as a father. I'm failing as a pastor. And so there are times you have to say no to things, as Nehemiah is showing us, Because they don't belong on your calendar. There are other things that God wants us to do. Now, in making these choices, as I said, sometimes you give up good things. Remember, Nehemiah has given up good things. He was the cupbearer to the king. He had been living in the lap of luxury in the Persian palace back in Susa when he was called to come to Jerusalem to lead this rebuilding of the walls. He gave up something really good by the world's standards, luxury, and and a job that paid well and and comfort in order to serve. The disciples, as we read about their call, they gave up their nets and their boats, others their businesses, in order to follow Jesus. And there are times we have to give something up in order to do something that is more important. You've probably heard of the uh, tax company, H&R Block, Years ago, Tom Block resigned as president and CEO of this firm. It was, at the time, $1.7 billion in revenue for this tax preparation and financial services firm. And he gave up his job as president and CEO in order to become a teacher at St. Francis Xavier Middle School in Kansas City, Missouri. Now, in switching jobs, his compensation dropped from what it was to 3% of his previous income. 3% in order to become a teacher. And when he did this, he was asked why he walked away from such a lucrative job. And Block responded that his hectic schedule as CEO was interfering with his top priority, which was his wife and his two children. The hardest part, he said, of his decision was telling his father, the previous chairman and co-founder of the company. But he said, I didn't want to look back on my life And so you had an opportunity to play a bigger role in your children's lives and you didn't take it. As you look at what you're spending your life on right now, how high of a priority is your relationship with God and your family in terms of the other things you're pursuing? Remember, whatever you say yes to means you're saying no to something else. Now, we have to make a living. We have to support our families. So I'm not telling you to walk away from your jobs and do nothing. I don't know that too many are in a position where they can do that. But what I'm asking you to do is prioritize what is most important. And ask yourself if the things you're pursuing in the world are more important than the other things that God has has given you an opportunity to say yes to. You see, we can all do a great work for God. But it's having the right focus on filling our plates with the eternal things, like our relationship with God. Or people who will last for all eternity. There was a young man who was serving as a missionary in China. This was before the current time where China is once again antagonistic to the gospel. It had opened up and there were missionaries in country. And this one young man in particular was a gifted linguist. He had mastered the language. He understood the culture. He was a great uh, representative of the gospel. And there was an American company doing business in the region, and they saw this, this, the capabilities of this guy, and they went to him and they said, We want you to represent our company, and we're going to pay you this great salary. And they offered him a position with a very high salary. And the young man said, No, I'm, I'm, I'm honored, but I'm, I'm not interested. So they upped the offer and offered him even more pay. And he once again said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm honored that you would ask me. But he said, I am called to be a missionary of the gospel. I'm here to share the good news of the gospel and not represent a, a commercial company. Well, they came back to him with yet another offer that was double the original salary offer. Huge amount of money that was put on the table. And this young man turned them down again. And he said to them, it's not your salary that is too small. It's your job that is too little. You see, he understood the priority of the eternal things of sharing the good news of the gospel. And one of the things that Satan will do to attack us and derail us is to get us busy. One of the ways Satan will try to pull you off is by just filling your plate with the busyness of life and various things. Jesus once asked the question, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? He says later, what does it profit a man to gain the world and lose his soul? And as I said, whenever you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. So ask yourself what you're saying yes to in terms of your career and your calendar and your commitments. And ask yourself, where is God in the priority list of those things? As you look at what you're exchanging your life for, are you sacrificing your family or friendships and relationships, those things that are eternal for the temporal things of the world that are passing? Are we like Nehemiah who can say, I'm doing a great work for a great God? Are we going through life grabbing the things of this world that are going to pass away? First Timothy 6, 9 through 11 tells us, but those who want to get rich fall into temptation and, and a snare. And many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pang. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Because Nehemiah was pursuing the right things, he could look at this opportunity, setting aside the danger and their ulterior motives, but just the invitation alone, he said, this, this is not something that I need to put on my calendar. And once we start to have this grid in our own minds, as we start to apply these things in our own life, not only will it keep us from wasting our life on the things that are not important, but it can also protect us from the things that could hurt us, things like Nehemiah was faced with. In verse 4, we we see where Nehemiah said no, not just once, but multiple times. Verse 4 says, and they sent messages to me four times in this manner. And I answered them in the same way. You know, some of us can say no the first time, right? And then the person comes back and back and they put pressure. And we eventually just say, okay, okay. Friends, if the answer was no the first time and it was the right answer, That knows the right answer the second time, and the fourth time, and the fiftieth time. And as Nehemiah looks at this, uh, he knew that he needed to say no to it. And as you start to say no to things, sometimes what you'll find is the true motivation behind some of the requests comes out. I can't tell you how many both men and women I've talked to that have told me, you know, Roger, I have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and they're telling me if you love me, you'll sleep with me, and and I love them, so what should I do? And, you know, I tell them, well, tell them back, if you really love me, you won't pressure me to do what's wrong. And sometimes they'll do that, and then they'll come back and they'll say, well, they left me. And I'll tell them, well, what was love was really a short-term lust or a selfish desire on their part then, wasn't it? Because this person is saying, well, my needs were more important than your following what God tells us. The Bible says, keep the marriage bed undefiled. If you're married, wonderful. God says, eat, drink, and buy deeply, O lovers. Enjoy the gift of sexual intimacy. But if you're not in a marriage relationship, God says, then it's not time. And those true motives of what the person really wanted will often come out. Well, here in this situation, Nehemiah sees what their true motives were. They said, hey, we want peace But when he refuses to meet in their little trap, look at what happens in verses 5 through 7. Then Sanballat sent messengers, sent his servant to me in the same manner a fifth time, with an open letter in his hand. And it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Gashmu says that you and the Jews are planning to rebel. Therefore you are rebuilding the wall, and you are to be their king according to these reports. And you have also appointed prophets to proclaim in Jerusalem concerning you. A king is in Judah. And now it will be reported to the king, this is Artaxerxes, according to these reports. So now, come, let us take counsel together. You know what the purpose of an open letter is? It's not so much to communicate with the person, rather, it's designed to broadcast information to others. And they come with this open letter saying, okay, Nehemiah, here's the next threat. If you don't do what we want, we're going to publish this. We're going to tell everybody, and we're going to let Artaxerxes know that you're really rebelling. And what they try to do is pressure him with these false rumors that we just read. You know, you've, you've seen people like this who leak a little bit of information at a time, right? And, and what they do is they're priming the gossip pump. And in those times, many of us are tempted to fight back the same way. Well, you want to leak something, I'll leak something. You punch, I'll counterpunch. And as we do this, especially in terms of this little slanderous game that they're playing here, 1 Timothy 3.11 tells us not to be malicious gossips. The Greek word that's used there is diabolus, which means a slander. And one of the names of Satan is Diablo, the devil. Means a slander. And when we do these kind of things, what we're told is we're doing the work of the devil. We're actually doing his work. So even if what you're sharing is true, I want you to ask yourself, why are you sharing it? You recalled it a few weeks ago, we looked at Matthew chapter 18 and we saw that when a person is in sin or where there's an issue, we're to go directly to the person. We're not to do the game that is being played here. We're saying we're going to tell everybody about it. You, you know, if, if what Sambalad had was really true, he should have just gone right to King Artaxerxes, said, here's the evidence of the rebellion. The king would have recalled Nehemiah, and it would have been the end of it. But instead, they're playing this game of, of trying to scare him by saying, we're going to spread this misinformation, and it may come back on you. If you're the type of person who wants to share information, I've said before that I want you to think about the difference between a butcher and a surgeon. And the difference between the two is they both cut meat, right? But a butcher will cut meat for the sake of devouring, while a surgeon will cut meat for the sake of healing, to bring about healing. And so if you're tempted to share something about somebody, I want you to ask yourself, are you a butcher or a surgeon? Is this to devour or is this to help and bring healing to someone? Don't do what Satan's doing here, spreading gossip trying to destroy this way. Instead, choose to handle it God's way. Look at what Nehemiah does. He goes to the person directly. Verses 8 through 9 tell us, Then I sent a message to him. Not another open letter where he's fighting the same way. He says, I sent a message to him, saying, Such things as you are saying have not been done, but you are inventing them in your own mind. For all of them were trying to frighten us, thinking they will become discouraged with the work and it will not be done. And then we see another quick prayer of Nehemiah. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. Nehemiah confronts the wrong directly. He goes to the person and then he lets it go. He doesn't get down in the mud and start this mud slinging match. If you picture two people throwing dirt at each other, they both lose ground as they're doing this. And Satan sits in the middle and he provides ammunition to both sides, gleefully watching as we both get dirty and watching as the work gets undone as they're, they're drawn away. During the Korean War, General Douglas MacArthur once said, I don't answer criticism. I don't respond to slander. If I did, it would take all of my time just fighting those attacks. Now, it's easier said than done, isn't it? When people are saying things about you, when misinformation is being spread, it's real easy to get down in the dirt and want to fight fire with fire. And when that happens, all that happens is everybody gets burned. Instead, what we need to do is what Nehemiah does here. He turns it over to God. He asks for his help to handle it. King David did the same thing as we see in Psalm 31, verses 13 through 14. There David said, for I've heard the slander of many. Terror is on every side. While they took counsel together against me, they schemed to take away my life. But as for me, I trust in thee, O Lord. I say, thou art my God. And this is what David is doing. This is what Nehemiah is doing. It's what you and I should do. In those times where we're feeling attacked, in those times where people are putting misinformation out in the press, where people are saying all kinds of things, you just need to turn it back to God and say, God, will you fight for me? If you take care of your character, your reputation ultimately takes care of itself. And here Nehemiah does these things, and as he does so, the attacks of Satan once again fail. And so what Satan does is he goes back to one of the strategies we've already seen in chapter 5. In chapter 5, we saw that what Satan did was he created a war within the walls. And here he goes to an inside source within the walls to once again renew an attack. In Nehemiah 6.10, it tells us, And when I entered the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehedabel." who was confront who was confined at home he said let us meet together in the house of god within the temple and let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you and they are coming to kill you at night when they can't lure nehemiah out of the city they go to their mole in the city and this guy invites nehemiah to his house now we see that he's a priest he's a prophet And he's obviously a personal friend of Nehemiah's because Nehemiah is willing to go into this guy's home. And he says to his friend, he says, why are you here You know, with your doors locked? Why are you closed up, shut up in your own home? And he says, well, because God has revealed to me that we're in danger. They're trying to kill me and Nehemiah, they're going to kill you. And so this is what God says we should do. He says, we should go in the temple where you'll be safe. And in verses 11 through 13, Nehemiah says, Should a man like me flee? And and could one such as I go into the temple to save my life? I will not go in. Then I perceived that surely God had not sent him, but he uttered this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He was hired, it says, for this reason, that I might become frightened and to act accordingly and sin, so that they might have an evil report in order that they could reproach me. You see, Nehemiah realizes this is a a scheme designed to discredit him. This isn't something that God wanted him to do. Now, how did Nehemiah know this? Well, because God reveals certain things in his word. And brothers and sisters, if anybody ever tells you something different than what you can read in the pages of Scripture, then you know to reject that. The Holy Spirit superintended the writing of this book. That was God. And God will never contradict his own work. And so in his word, one of the things that God had revealed was that only priests and Levites were allowed to go into certain parts of the temple. The priests could only go into certain areas for certain reasons at certain times. Now, Nehemiah's friend was a priest. So he was allowed to go into the inner parts of the temple, but Nehemiah was not a priest. And so Nehemiah was not allowed to go in there. And once he did, he would break the law of God, and thus he would sin, and thus there would be the ability to discredit him. And Nehemiah sees this scheme. He says, first of all, can a man like me go run and hide? It's not that Nehemiah was so proud. But remember, the reason the work on the walls was so successful was because God was enabling and working through Nehemiah and through his example. As he was on the front line, the people were there with him. And if Nehemiah suddenly runs and hides and locks himself away, the people would have said, Nehemiah's in danger, we are. They would have all ran and hidden, and they would have stopped the work on the wall. The story is told of a a frightened young recruit he was a, a buck private soldier. He was on the front line of battle. And, and as the, the war was going on and people were shooting at him, this guy rightfully was afraid. But what he did is he threw his gun down and he began a one-man retreat running you know as far back as he could. And after quite some time of retreating, uh, he was suddenly stopped by an officer. And this officer pulled out his pistol, stopped the soldier, and he said to him, he said, Do you realize that, uh, you can be court-martialed and have a summary execution for desertion, for cowardness. And this, this frightened young soldier, he's shaking there. He's looking at this officer, and he says, he says, Captain, Captain, I'm so sorry. He says, I was scared. It was my first battle. He says, if you give me another chance, I'll go back and I'll fight. And, and this officer looking at this young soldier uh, feels mercy for him. And he says, okay, soldier. He says, you can go back to the front lines. And he says, but it's colonel, not captain. And the the private said, I'm sorry, sir, I didn't realize I was that far back. (laughs) Some of those in the military are saying, I don't know if I like that joke. Uh, You know, what some leaders try to do is they lead from the back. where they say, I'm protected. I'm not going to face the consequences or the full danger. And this was uh, something that, as I said, some some have done. And there was a a man many of you have heard of by the name of Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill was ultimately prime minister of England. But before that, he was studying warfare. And he looked at, there was a a war called the Boer War that there were a bunch of blunders that were made. And as he studied it, one of the things Churchill wrote up in his recommendations for change is he said, high-ranking officers need to be near the front lines where they can see what's happening and they can respond more quickly to the things that are taking place. And his ideas were not immediately embraced by the British military, but Churchill later, as he uh, moved up through the the system, followed his own recommendations. And during World War I, he personally personally viewed many of the French battles. And later, he frequently showed up in dangerous places in London when he was Prime Minister of England during World War II, to embolden and give courage to the people as the bombings and things were happening. And in 1948, his suggestions were adopted by the new state of Israel. And as many of us know, the modern Israeli army is one of the most formidable fighting forces in all of the world. And one of the big reasons for that, not only is God's blessing, but it's because the generals also fight at the front lines. The generals in the Israeli army will fight at the front. There are too many leaders who bark orders from the back and they expect others to follow them while avoiding the consequences themselves. As we look at the life of Nehemiah, he wasn't one of those leaders. Nehemiah led by example. He was on the front line. He was working on the wall. He was doing the things he asked people to do. So again, as we're talking about this this priest telling him, Nehemiah, run and hide. Nehemiah knew it would derail the work on the walls the confidence of the people would be lost. But more importantly to Nehemiah was, he said, I will not break the law of God. And because of that, he knew that this, this person was a false prophet. So again, he rejects this counsel. He turns back to God and he asks that God would fight for him. And another one of Satan's attacks failed. And once again, Nehemiah goes to his knees in prayer as he says in verse 14, Remember, O my God, Tobiah and Sanballat according to these works of theirs, and also Noadiah the prophetess and the rest of the prophets who were trying to frighten me. Here and in verses 17 through 18, we see this list of those who are going against Nehemiah continues to grow. We talked in an earlier sermon about how when when a project progresses, the opposition increases. And here you see more and more people are piling on as this list grows. It says in verses 17 through 18, Also in those days letters went from the nobles of Judah to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was the son-in-law son of, of Shechaniah, the son of Arah, and his son, uh, Jehoban had married the daughter of the son of, Be- of uh, Barakiah. Now, these are, these are also some within the walls who were acting as spies. And what we find is whatever Nehemiah is sharing, they then share with Tobiah and the enemies outside the walls. And not only are they passing information outside the walls, which is dangerous and discouraging, but then they come and they, they backstab Nehemiah. And and it says in in verse 19, moreover, they were speaking about his good works. This is his chief enemy in my presence and reported my words to him. Then Tobias sent letters to frighten me. This war within the walls, as we talked about in another message, is very dangerous. But the most discouraging thing here to Nehemiah is how those he trusted were stabbing him in the back. But just as before, rather than pulling off the work, Nehemiah keeps his eyes on God, and he keeps after the work he's been given. And as a result, look at what happens in verses 15 and 16. So the wall was completed on the 25th, the 25th month of Elah in 52 days. And it came about that when all our enemies heard of it. And, and all the nations surrounding us saw it. They lost their confidence. For they recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. I don't want you to pass over that. Verse 15 says the walls were complete in how many days? It's right there in front of you. How many days? 52 52 days. Do you remember how long the walls had been broken down previously? 142 years. The ruins, the rubble the reproach of the city, the mockery of God that has gone on for 142 years is taken away in 52 days. A miraculous 52 days, the walls are rebuilt. And what happens here is the enemies lose their confidence. These enemies who have been at work trying to discourage and frighten the people of God. These enemies who have been attacking and and trying to discourage and defeat the people of Israel are the ones who are discouraged and defeated. And some of you this morning find yourselves in a place where you're under attack. As you're listening to Nehemiah, as you're listening to this message, you may be thinking, this is wonderful stuff, but what does it have to do with me? What does it have to do with what I'm facing today? Some of you are facing fear and discouragement, physical illness, financial hardship, relationships that are falling apart, circumstances or people who are are attacking you, who are slandering you. As you're facing those kind of things, you've been trying to deal with them the world's way maybe. You've been fighting back. You've been slandering back. You've thought about running away, quitting. It's just not worth it. I'm sure Nehemiah had all of those thoughts cross his mind as he dealt with these problems that we've seen over the last couple of chapters. But with each problem, with each challenge, what Nehemiah did is he went back to God. He turned it over to God and he asked him to fight the battles for him. And because of that, Nehemiah wins as the walls are complete and his enemies are defeated. So, as we end today, I want us to go to God in prayer. And I want you to think about where you are this morning, the things you're facing. It may be a war within the walls, a struggle at home with family, could be something at work or where you go to school. People you thought were your friends who were close to you have turned on you, it could be something that is out of your control a physical illness, a loved one who's dealing with some difficulty. I want you to think about what you're facing this morning. I want you to do as Nehemiah did and take it to God. As you do, ask God to give you the strength you need to persevere. Ask God to give you the patience and the willingness to lay it at his feet and to let, you fight the, let him fight these battles for you. Let's go to God now in prayer. I want you to Just spend a few moments with him, and then I'll close our time in prayer. Let's pray. Lord God, you know the pain of the people who are here today. God, you know how some have been burned personally. And Father, as people, we confess there are times that we want to fight fire with fire. I confess, Lord, that is something that I struggle with at times where when people hurt me, I want to hurt back. When people slander, I want to slander back. When people say or do things that are unjust, I want, to, I want to fight the way that the world tells me to fight. And, Lord, in those times, would you give us wisdom? There are times that we do engage the things of the world, like courts or uh, mediation or other things that allow us to have somebody else step in as a representative And yet, God, ultimately, you're the one who has to fight for us. You're the one who has to uh, win the battle. And so we pray, Father, that we would allow you to fight. We pray, God, that we would not do anything to dishonor you or your name. Father, in those times where we grow weary, may you strengthen and support us. When we face adversity, Lord, would you help us not to become frightened or run away? but instead to stand firm and trust you. Father, not everybody here this morning is is facing a battle, a hardship. And yet we all face choices, God, as to what we will say yes to or no to. And so would you help us, Lord, to set our priorities in a way that we can indeed say, as Nehemiah did, we are doing a great work for our great God. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to focus on the right things. We pray, Lord, that you would use us in ways to glorify you and accomplish the work that you've called us to. So, Father, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for your son, Jesus, that you sent to die on a cross to pay the penalty of death for our sins. We thank you that you allow us to become a part of your family, first as adopted children, as sons and daughters of yours, and then, Father, as workers on the wall, workers that you've called to represent you to be your hands and feet in a world around us to reach out with your love and grace to those who need it so father would you use us to spread the good news of the gospel would you help us lord to be those who strengthen and support others who are struggling this morning we thank you god for your love for us for the gift of your son May we go out and share the good news of who he is and what he's done for the world jesus name we pray and thank you amen